Artemis are known as the profit hunters for good reason. We seek out profits when conditions are good. When they take a turn for the worse. And when they're downright terrible. For over 20 years, we've been hunting down profits, whatever the economic climate has been like. As we will continue to do. Artemis, the profit hunter. Capital at risk. Hello and welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast, where we get beneath the bonnet with leading market participants. I'm Joseph Wilkins, Funds Correspondent at Asset Allocator, and joining me today is Alex Harvey, Portfolio Manager at Momentum, and David Thorpe, Contributing Editor at Asset Allocator. Good morning and welcome both. Morning. Good morning. Cool. So I thought we'd uh, kick off, Alex, today with um, some questions on US equities. And it will come as no surprise uh, to most to say that uh, the S&P was largely fueled last year by the remarkable performance of the Magnificent Seven. Um, but going into this year, there's many have said there's a concentration risk and valuations are high. And so what is the investment case for stocks uh, this year in the US market? Sure. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, as you say, I think um, the the performance in 2023 maybe surprised a lot of participants over the course of the year, um, expecting a, a slowdown in growth through last year. Um, and actually, the US grew very well. Um, and that powered ahead this, uh, along with the, with, with, with the AI um, wave, you know, the, the Magnificent 72, very, very strong returns over, over the course of the year. Um, more broadly in the US, yeah, there are concentration risks, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, the broader market in the US... Um, including the Magnificent Seven, but if you look at the S&P, you know, the, the, the earnings uh, multiple on that is uh, reasonably, be high, reasonably high, but, you know, it's come down a lot since, um, since when it peaked at probably sort of over 30 um, back in 2022. So it's, it's, you know, reasonable valuations today, um, but that's a sort of premium for, for quality that you're paying. Um, if you discount the Magnificent Seven stocks from that, um, then you're lower still, clearly. And last year, yes, the, the index X, those names um, finished a bit higher. Um, but the dispersion amongst the you know, other 493 names is, is quite wide. And we think there's good opportunities for active managers to uh, make good returns going forward. There's a lot of attractive um, and high quality businesses there. Um, and an economy that is, is, you know, remains very buoyant today. Alex, it's it's interesting. I guess there was almost a consensus that U.S. GDP growth would would slow towards the end of last year into this year and perhaps turn negative. But all of the data points that are coming out of the U.S. are not telling that story. Growth is really robust. I mean, it, you know, it's not, it's not scraping along the bottom as as Britain is. The latest jobs numbers were mm -hmm. much better than expected. Yeah. Um, an economy that buoyant probably does imply that one can look with greater confidence away from the Magnificent Seven. Maybe the argument for some of those uh, large tech stocks was they would grow in almost any market conditions. But if you have positive market conditions, you put less of a premium mm -hmm. on growing in any market conditions. Um, so as, as an investor, 
at momentum do you are you looking more further down the market cap spectrum in the US for example yeah well we we, we do have some some small cap exposure um, both the US and globally as well and in the UK it's important to add um, you know we think that that premium for for the small cap names um, is elevated today particularly in the UK and we can talk talk a bit more about that um, but you're right. I mean, expectations last year were for this slowdown and didn't materialise. Um, a lot of the data points have been very strong. The latest jobs report, this bumper number, I think about 385,000 jobs added. It was, you know, um, beyond, far beyond sort of expectations. But it's double-edged swords. You've got this sort of very strong um, employment market and obviously the, the, the Fed reaction to that and, and the... The, the bond market as well has been to price out some of the cuts that were priced in. So, you know, an implicit sort of tightening in conditions, really, um, that, that's just taken the wind out of the sail of, of equities a little bit. Um, so the more, the stronger the data is, um, uh, you know, the, the the less likely we are to, to see any rate cuts come sooner, um, even though we've probably still got, um, you know, four or so priced by the end of the year. Um but that that that's back in from um, you know probably over six, um, just sort of five six weeks ago or something like that. So so it's moved out a lot. Um, but uh, you know expectations are um, you know have have been paired back in quite a bit. I think. Um, yeah. Thank you, Alex. Um, you mentioned that the US offers an attractive. Um environment for active management um, do you think that some regions uh, across the world are more suited to active management than others are there some places that you prefer to employ a passive strategy I would probably say less places and more asset classes um, you know some asset classes are just more more efficient like sort of rates markets and, and um, government bonds for, for some of our sort of core exposures there um, that said uh, you know there's Many charts that sort of show the the forward rate expectations that are priced into markets and what actually materialises over time is is very different from that. So, you know that that suggests that you know the market embedded view actually tends to be wrong. Um, so there is an opportunity there, but but very few people can deliver on that consistently over time. You know, year after year. Mm. Um, if we are using um, you know, government bonds or maybe sort of high-grade corporate bonds and the like in portfolios. Yes, we do buy some of that directly, um, but really, it's just to 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 get that that beta exposure into the portfolios. Um, and we prefer to save the the active manager budget uh, for those um, you know the more um, alpha efficient areas. When we say alpha, we're talking about the you know the opportunity to outperform versus the index and that is in you know in the equities and the small caps um probably in sort of high yield bonds and some of the more esoteric sort of credit asset classes mm. sure that's really interesting thank you um how do you blend active and passive within your portfolios okay sure um and by extension actually i'd say how, how do we blend the different styles within our funds um at momentum we've we've always taken the approach that we don't want to um, have uh, you know too much single what we call sort of factor exposure or star risk premia to to a particular um, you know equity factor, um, which can be defined as 
um, some of your listeners may know, you know, you sort of have value equities, growth equities, quality. Um, and each of those we found, you know, through our work and other um, academic work, you, you'll know that each of those risk premia do tend to um, outperform over time. There is a risk premium associated with those um, for reasons of um, technical reasons and human bias, but they do persist over time. Um, so any one of those um, over the long term, we would expect to um, be able to generate superior returns. Um, but over the shorter term, they can they can move very quickly, very sharply, and we don't think that trying to sort of time the factor returns is a is a high quality decision. Mm. So we, you know, much prefer to blend um, those styles together. Um, and we use um, we use um, sort of highly discretionary fundamental managers within our global equity fund for that, um, but we also complement that with, um, I guess, a, a lower cost, more sort of um, factor enhanced, um, more systematic type approach in in our portfolios. So, so, do you think some some of the factors that you mentioned are more suited to passive than other factors? Um, possibly, yes. Um, those factors, I mean, if we think of the sort of momentum and growth, that has a quite high turnover. Within equities, obviously, there's a cost associated with that. It's not as high as it might be within um, bond markets. I mean, there's some interesting work that's, that's been done around sort of factor risk premium in bond markets, very well known in, in, the, in, in the equity arena. Um, and there are a few um, managers and academics that... Um, uh, you know that have products and and do work in in the bond space as well, but the nature of the bond market, particularly corporate bonds being OTC, um, you know the higher turnover there would would make it uh, you know inefficient probably to do that um, in the same way. So yeah, certainly some asset classes and some different factors will suit better to that depending on turnover and uh, and the number of, number of equities that you that you might need to to own within that that basket and i think um for these kind of strategies as well you need to to have breadth um you what you want to get is a, a purer uh factor exposure you don't want to be picking up too much idiosyncratic names uh name risk um that can come through so in a, in a smaller market um uh you know if you are creating a uh, a factor basket and, and maybe there's uh, you know 15 20 25 names in there you're going to have a lot of individual name risk as well um, so bigger markets and broad is is generally better thank you, thank you very much that's really interesting um so it's been a theme across mainly last year uh with rising cash rates um that's caused well certainly um an issue for dfms um with the rising appeal of cash at around 5%. Mm. How has that reduced the appeal of equity and bonds uh, at all? And do you see this phenomenon as lasting? How are you placed uh, to deal with sure. the cash <clears throat> issue this year? Well, it's it's as relevant as it's you know been for for a decade or more um we've come we've come out of this um you know these do, the doldrums of negative rates and it's really quite attractive today um of course that rising uh the rising rates um which started back uh in late 21 early 2022 and over the last few years that has that, that rate reset higher um, is what, you know, pulled down bonds and pulled down equities with it. So as well as having attractive cash rates, you've got investors that are quite nervous about the core asset classes because 
of the volatile and and um, uh, the volatility of those returns and the drawdowns that we had in 2022. So when you twin that together, um, cash looks very attractive, mm. and we we hear that a lot from our clients. Um, uh, I travelled to different places with with work and was was in Asia. Um, just late last year and that that was something that i was hearing a lot uh, and as is often the way when you sort of hear that call the loudest is is often when something's going to change and you know that was late october and <clears throat> sure enough you know the last couple of months of the year uh, we had this big uh, <clears throat> uh huge rally in 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 rates and um equities at a time when people really wanted cash and i've, I've written about this in in a blog that that we do and um uh, you know the the analogy I use is is kind of the the, the, the moth to a light bulb, and um, it, the, the lure of it is is so high. Um, but but actually, what you want to be doing probably is is locking in um, longer term rates and locking in those uh, equity risk premiums for for the longer term. Um, I did some work looking at uh, the probably going back about six rate hike cycles in the U.S. and looking at when. Um, when treasury bills uh, yields had peaked out and looking at the subsequent sort of one, three and five year returns. Um, and, you know, the evidence was was there that, that really you want to be um, investing for longer. Um, I think bonds outperformed uh, in all of those periods and all those cycles and equities in, um, certainly on average, um, the return was much better than cash over the longer term. Um, does, um, does the higher... Uh, return available on cash from a portfolio construction point of view in within a bond allocation and within an equity allocation does it lend you to go sh- shorter ju- duration all, all 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 the way all the way around so you know you can own i don't know one year one year to majority bonds and get such an attractive yield does one need to do 20 year even though there might be diversification benefits 20 years and within equities mm-hmm. You know, but by the oil company to get the cash chucked off now from the dividend, rather than owning owning the tech stock that will de- deliver most of its returns in future. Yeah, and um, you you allude to it there actually, and what what we talk about, you know, that that sort of barbell of having having the shorter jaded bonds um, with with some longer dated um, investments as well. For uh, you know, it's you know bonds have really sort of roared back into popularity over the the last sort of year or so um, after the drawdown that we had in 2022, um, and their role as a diversifier in portfolios, um, you know, has has reemerged again. You know, we're not we're not out of the the woods totally with with the volatility around bond markets, and there's still a persistence of of inflation around that is. Um, um, you know, push, pushing yields higher, as we've seen over the last few days, yields have, have, have moved quite a lot higher. But there's much more carry on those bonds now as well. So their role, you know, has come back as a diversifier. Um, and in order to, you know, get the best bang for buck, as, as, as you'll know, you'll be more efficient with that. You probably want to get get a longer duration, more interest rate risk in, in portfolios. So um, perhaps buy some longer bonds there for, for some ballast, as we'd call it. In portfolios, but that that short end is you know super attractive, um, and more so than going out you know, two, three, four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yield curves are normally upward sloping. If you lend for longer, you'd expect to to get paid more. That's um, that is the, the normal state of play. Um, but we're still in 
this situation, <clears throat> albeit it's reduced a lot, where we have uh, you know this inverted yield curve, um, and particularly uh, you know this short end where you have something effectively called sort of roll up instead of the normal roll down, um, which means that that bonds um, effectively are sort of going down in price um, as they you know as they get shorter. So actually, the short end is. Um, it's still attractive in, in that regard. But, um, I mean, it would be normal at this point of the cycle for, well, I say this one, it would be normal if the market expects interest rates to be cut for that roll down effect at the short end to happen, wouldn't it? Because you would rather, uh, you would see the prices rise the, long, the further out you go, both because uh, rates being cut usually signals an economic deterioration and people go into bonds for, 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 for safe haven, but also because. Uh, you want to lock in that longer yield now with yep. rates being cut. You want to lock it in for longer. Absolutely, yep. And that and that's starting. You know, that's starting to play out. We've we've come from very a very inverted yield curve, and a lot of that has has backed out. And we still do have um, some inversion there. Um, but this the 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 normalisation um, of that yield curve is you know is playing out. Um, obviously, a huge amount of. Um, uh, you know, market conversation and interest around the inverted yield curve and its its um, usefulness, if you like, as a as a predictor for for a slowdown in growth. Um, which you can argue is is it a predictor or is it more of a coincident and uh, um, factor? Um, either way, it does tend to happen um, or coincide with with a slowdown in growth. And um, the you know the length. Uh, of time, you know, between when yield curves invert and when the when the slowdown comes, um, you often only find that out with hindsight once we once we look back at uh, at the growth pattern. But um, you know, to the the the, the tightening that we had um, over the last sort of eighteen months, two years, has been you know really sharp, and it it does take time for that to filter through into into the economy, to, to corporates and households. You know, household yes, mortgage rates are considerably higher but the amount of refinancing activity in the u.s um the u.s is a different market um and in in the u.s market the you know the the, the homeowner you know has has the optionality effectively to to pay that loan back and they won't be doing that because you know they've got very low rates so the you know the transmission mechanism of rates into the housing market has, has been very slow but, but there is a natural turnover there um as people refinance and mm-hmm. um that will start to come through. Um, just one final question, Alex. Uh, given this environment, um, do you look to alternatives at all um, as a as a further diversifier to your portfolios? How do you see that? Yeah, we do, and um, we there's a, a few different areas that that we invest in. Um, we we have um, we have an allocation to to real assets in the portfolios. Um, which are, you know, when we talk about real assets, we're, you know, talking really about tangible um, investments, um, infrastructure, property, and, and the like. Um, our funds are, are typically all sort of daily dealing, so we have to be careful what we invest in because we're very mindful of the liquidity mismatch there. Um, but you can get access to um, uh, to some, some great investments that are trading at you know, big discounts today in the investment trust sector. Um, so we have a, you know, a handful of holdings there, um, which gives gives us exposure to largely to a sort of UK um, and European 
collection of investments in in that space. We also uh, use a manager who um, accesses uh, more liquid sort of hedge fund type risk premium. So they're less less directional. Um, uh, so they're going to be less influenced or should be less influenced by the general direction of markets, but but hopefully are able to you know harvest a a small risk premium um even in you know sort of sideways trending markets and actually that that manager's done pretty well um at these sort of risk off times um particularly sort of through covid in early 2020 um and also when we've you know had the 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 tough markets in uh 2022 they've actually performed quite well um so they act as a, a an additional sort of stabilizer in our portfolios excellent Thank you. Well, uh, I think that's all for today. Thank you very much, Alex, for joining us. And, thank you for having me. And thank you, David. Thank you. And uh, I'm Joseph Wilkins, a contributor to Asset Allocator, and that was the Asset Allocator podcast. Uh, see you next time.